Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the word of God as we find it written in the Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 28th chapter, the 19th verse. Go ye therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning, dear friends in Christ Jesus, you who are here in God's house, and you also, the listeners on our radio this morning. It's so nice to have you in church today on a rainy Sunday. And Christian fans, it's nice also to have you in our radio audience on this day. Needless for me to mention again, yet I must, you realize that today is a rather auspicious and historic occasion in the history of Emmanuel Congregation. It was on the last Sunday in January in the year 1943 that the first broadcast went out from this church over the local Marion station WMRN. And from that Sunday on, there have been over 1,300 broadcasts, as you have heard. Without interruption, we have never missed one Sunday as far as the church is concerned. We say on this, the silver anniversary of radio broadcasting, is there a message from the Word of God that is quite appropriate for an occasion such as this. And I feel, Christian friends, there is, and that's why I have chosen the text that I just read. These are the words of the risen Christ. You remember that before Jesus died, he told his disciples, don't forget, after I am risen again, I want to meet you up in Galilee. And so when Christ died and arose again, the disciples went up into the northern province of Galilee, and there Jesus appeared to the eleven, and we feel also to his followers about 500 or a few more that he had at the time. And then it was that on that mountain, the risen Christ spoke these words to his church. He said, Go ye and make disciples of all nations. He said, I want you to go. I command you to go and to make of all nations disciples of mine, disciples of me. I command you this day, followers, you go out and you make them followers of me. I want Christ men. I want you to make Christians. I want you to make Christophers, bearers of me. And on this occasion, we may say this to ourselves, it's hard to believe that missionary command, that Christ the risen Lord would stand before his church and he would say, go out and make of all nations disciples of me, of mine, make followers of me and of mine. We may say to ourselves, why, that seems to be the height of arrogance if there ever was. Who did he think he was? That they were to go out and to make followers of all people, of him, followers of me, that's what he wanted. Isn't this the height of conceit? Oh, was that man afflicted somehow or other with hallucinations of grandeur? Did he have imaginings of greatness? Did that man have delusions? 
that he was magnificent, how in the world could he ever stand before a few over 500 and tell them to go out and make of all people disciples of his? Wasn't that the height of pride, of vanity, of conceit, if you ever saw it? We may say to ourselves, why should we therefore listen to words like this, that we are to go out and we are of all people to make disciples of him, of his, Christians, Christophers? Isn't this the height of pride? And Christian friends, the risen Christ has asked us to do that, and he speaks to us in his word this morning on this silver anniversary. And all because that's not the height of pride. That's not the height of arrogance. That isn't the height of conceit. But I assure you, that's the height of love. That's love in its finest hour. That's love in its greatest effect. That's love in its highest esteem. The reason why the risen Christ calls on you and me to go out and to make of all people followers of his, of him, is because this is the height of love. He alone, no other, has happiness beyond the grave to give. That's why it's love. No one else on earth, no other person, barring none, has happiness that you and I want beyond the grave to give except Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? You may say to me, wait a minute, preacher. You mean to stand up there this morning and to tell me that happiness beyond the grave is the gift that only Christ has to give and that only if a man is a follower of his, he shall have happiness beyond the grave, and that if a man is not a follower of Jesus Christ and rejects him, that he shall not find happiness beyond the grave. You're right, bud. That's exactly what I'm saying. You got me right on the nail. That's exactly what I said. You may say, preacher, you've got some proving to do this morning. You've got to prove to me that just because Christ has said we are to go out and to make of all people disciples of his, that this is the height of love, that he alone has happiness beyond the grave to give. You've got to prove it, and friend, in all humility, not on the basis of any rhetoric or any super-colossal logic, but on the basis of the authority of the Word of God. I'd like to show you this morning that that's absolutely true. It's true because in the first place the Word of God assures us of this, that Christ alone, no other, was qualified to earn happiness beyond the grave for us. You may say Christ alone was qualified. You may say to me, as many a man does, why am I not qualified to go ahead and earn happiness beyond the grave for myself? Why can't I do it myself? What's wrong with me? If there's any saving to be done, why can't I do it? How does it come that only Christ and only he alone has again the qualifications to earn happiness beyond the grave? I want to do it myself. And friend, listen, you're no different from any of the rest of us until we have come to the word of God. You and I are born with the idea that if there's any saving to be done, we can do it ourselves. That's all that man could ever think of because you and I say this, after all, why am I not qualified that I can earn happiness beyond the grave? 
I'm a lot better than other people. You've said that. We've all said that, haven't we, of ourselves? Because, listen, there isn't any human being within the sound of my voice this morning, I don't care who you are, but what you can find somebody who is a lot worse in his life than you or me. It doesn't take us long, and that's what we do. When we look at ourselves to be our own saviors, we say, I'm a lot better than a lot of guys I know, and we can pick out somebody, we always do, somebody that's a lot worse than we. We say, well, look at that old hypocrite, I'm a lot better than he. Look at that guy, I've never robbed a bank like he has. I've never been in jail, I don't have a prison record. I've never run around and taken somebody else's wife. I've never stolen. I've never disgraced myself. I've never disgraced my family. I'm a lot better than he and therefore because I am, surely I ought to be able to earn by my life this happiness beyond the grave. Friend, you're no different than anybody else. That's the way we come into the world. But oh God, when we turn and finally are honest with ourselves and we say, but God, what do you say? And oh, then comes the surprise, and God says it in his word. God says, now, if you really want to know how you look in my sight and why you, why you cannot be your own savior, God says, I'll tell you. Let's bear in mind that when God begins to look at you and me, he never, never compares us with anybody else. Imagine for the moment that you and I are the only human beings alive alone and God looks at you alone no comparison with anybody else and God says now do you want to know just how you look in my sight and why you are not able by your life to be qualified to gain happiness beyond the grave for yourself and God says I'll tell you I am the almighty God and because I am a just God I demand that you walk in perfection and I have revealed my will in my Ten Commandments in my first law I say this thou shalt have no other gods before me and therefore if you put me first in your life First, last, and always. Always do my will, never your will when it contradicts my will. I will give you 100% goodness. I will give you 100% righteousness. I will give you 100% merit that will bring you life beyond the grave. But God says if you do not keep that law, if you break it, you break it in all, and therefore I give you zero goodness. And then God says to you and me, no comparison now with any other man. Have you always put my will first? Can you say that you have perfectly done what I wanted you to do? You have never done your will when it contradicted mine. And then you and I in honesty have to say to God, no, I haven't always done your will first, God. And God says, therefore, I cannot give you 100% goodness to merit life. I will give you zero. And on the second commandment, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. God says, I don't care how you look in comparison with anybody else. What about my name in vain? Did you or did you not ever take my name in vain? You and I say yes. And there's another zero of goodness. Have you remembered the Sabbath day to keep it holy? Did you ever despise my word? And you and I must say, yes, we have. Have you ever disobeyed your parents? Have you ever killed? Did you ever have hatred in your heart? Did you ever, therefore, commit adultery? Have you had immorality in your heart? If so, you have a score of zero. Have you ever been dishonest? Have you ever lied about your neighbor? Have you ever coveted? Have you ever been envious and greedy and jealous of your neighbor? Have you ever had any kind of an evil desire in your heart? Then you and I stand before God and we say, God speaking. And we say, God, I haven't measured up. And God says, do you see why you are not qualified to gain happiness beyond the grave for yourself? Because you don't have enough goodness and you don't have any righteousness and you don't have any merit. Your score is zero. Then you and I need to look at Christ. And then God says, look at my son. 
my son was able to again to stand before me and to say I've done it perfectly. I gave him a 100% goodness and friend listen Jesus Christ stands before the world as he stood before his generation and remember one day he said which of you convinceth me of sin? Imagine standing up before his adversaries and he said I defy you to prove that I'm a sinner and no one did in that generation and no one has done it to this day. He stands as the spotless one, the greatest life that has ever been lived. And because he was without sin, and because therefore he was no less than God the Son himself, he alone, bear this in mind, no one else, not you, not I, he alone was qualified to earn life beyond the grave for you and me. You may say, well, how about other religions, preacher? Don't they have a way whereby a person can merit and by his goodness attain life beyond the grave? And may I say, they do not. There is hopelessness in every other religion on the face of the earth. Sometimes when you've been in countries where, again, Christianity is not the real religion, and you say to yourself, why are countries so backward? Why haven't they progressed? May I remind you, because without Jesus Christ, they have a religion of hopelessness. It's a religion of despair. It's a religion of fatalism. No nation prospers when they have that kind of a man-made religion. Jesus Christ stands in truth. The thing that makes Christianity have precedence over all other religions is because all others are hopeless. They have only man saying, do the best you can and try. Christianity has a Christ who was qualified to God, to man, born of the Virgin Mary without sin. And therefore, beyond question, he was the Messiah that God had promised to come into the world. We say to ourselves on this silver anniversary, why does Jesus Christ say, you go out and I ask you and I plead with you, will you make of all nations disciples of me, disciples of mine, followers of me, followers of mine, and you and I say, oh, what hallucinations of grandeur he must have had. He must have been filled somehow or other with a Napoleonic frustration. Oh, no, this is the height of love because only he has life beyond the grave to give. No one else, not you, no other religion, save Jesus Christ. And that brings it right down here today when you and I can rededicate ourselves to obedience to that tremendous command of love of Christ. Will you, he pleads, will you go out and make of all people disciples of mine, of me? And all because this is the height of love. He alone has happiness beyond the grave to give. When you and I dedicate ourselves and say, that shall be the thing to which we are obedient, then we can look back today on 25 years of radio broadcasting and we can determine very decisively what it was that prompted us to go on the air. When you think back 25 years, it's a good thing to stop today and say, why did Emmanuel Church go on the air? Was it this, that again, it was the height of arrogance, the height of pride? Did some of us have somehow or other, did we have hallucinations of grandeur? Was it to put Emmanuel Church on top? Was it to say, we've got something, we're going to build our church if it was, God forbid. But I can assure you it was not. For as was mentioned, if I may speak on that, when there was a group of us that talked about going on the air, the vestry was opposed to it, and many of you in the congregation were opposed because you said this to me, if you go on the air, you're going to find you're going to be preaching to the empty pews. 
And if people can stay home and stay in bed and they can just relax and listen on the air, who's going to want to come to church? And you were afraid. And frankly, I wondered too what would happen. We went out and we spoke to the late Bob Mason about this thing. He had plenty religious programs on the air, every last one of them at that time, milking the audience. And I said, Bob, listen, if we're going on the air, I can assure you of this, it's not going to be a gimmick. We're not going to milk the audience because the last thing I want, a man of the world who's listening to say, that's a racket, all they're on the air for is to get our money. And I promised Mr. Mason that that would never happen. Never would we appeal, if we ever had to appeal for money, or even by innuendo, even sort of in an indirect way ask for it, we'd stop. Because I wanted men to know we were interested in their souls, not in their pocketbooks. And thank God there's never been an appeal. Never. There isn't a man today that can stand up and ever say that this broadcast from this church ever appealed to them for money to keep this thing continuous. Thank God for your generosity and for your interest. Bob Mason said to me one day before he died, we met and he says, Martin, I want to say this to you. He said, your church service has brought dignity to WMRN. Then he added, and I also feel that WMRN has brought dignity to your church service. And with that, I said, Bob, I certainly agree. And when we celebrated the 24th last year, I received a very fine note from Bob Mason. And he said this to me, he said, if I am alive when the 25th anniversary comes, he said, I don't know what we'll do, I don't know why that should be sacrosanct over any other year, but we'll plan something and I will look forward to it. It was my hope to have had Bob Mason here this morning, but as you know, death intervened and Bob Mason was called to his eternal rest. When we talked about being on the air, he said this to me when I asked him, how long do you think we can be on? And he said to me, in two weeks you'll know whether it's accepted or not. Today, again, we reaffirmed this, that we went on the air because we wanted to share Jesus Christ, who in the height of love alone has life beyond the grave and happiness to bestow, and the Christ who has said this, go and make of all people disciples of me, disciples of mine. We are grateful to him for the blessing that we have had this privilege and this responsibility for 25 years. It's a good thing on this anniversary Sunday for us to say to ourselves, what is the Lord of the church saying to us? This is what the risen Lord is saying again today, reiterating it through the word of God. Go and make of all nations disciples of me, disciples of mine. Make followers of me, mine. You go out and make Christians, Christ's men. Make Christophers, those who bear me as their Lord. You and I may say to ourselves, oh, that's the height of egotism. Oh, he must have been inflated with a great sense of ego to have said, go out and win all men of all nations as my disciples. Egotism? Oh, no. Conceit, vanity, no. The height of love. This is love in its finest hour because he alone no other person has happiness beyond the grave to bestow, barring none. It's found nowhere else. And you may say, preacher, how can you prove that? Because I would mention in the second place this, that on the basis of the word of God, Christ alone and no other was able to bear the eternal punishment of our sins. 
you and I were not able. Perhaps some of you have said this, all right, if I'm damned, I'll take it, I'm big enough, I'll go to hell and I'll suffer the punishment of my sin, and then will come commutation, then again will come release sometime, then there will be a parole, and then I can go ahead and I can be my own savior. But you see, this is what's sad, friend. We may think that, but Jesus says, depart, ye wicked into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. It is an eternal punishment. There is no commutation of sentence. There are no reprieves. There is no parole. It's an eternal separation of body and soul from the grace of God. That's the punishment. And therefore, you and I cannot take the wrath and complete it. And then you may say, all right, preacher, if I couldn't, then how could Jesus Christ? You say that on the cross he took our guilt and our punishment and he bore it in our stead. How could he bear eternal, endless punishment for me and for all men on the cross? He could, friend, because he was the eternal God and that sacrifice on the cross, the Word of God says, was a timeless sacrifice. And because of the eternity of his being, he was able in time to fulfill that wrath for you and me and for all men. Now we are beginning to see the mystery of the cross. Don't ask me to explain how. I don't know. But I've got to look up when I look to the cross. That's what it means. The eternal Son of God paid in full for an eternal punishment for you and me and all men. And because he alone could, he alone has an exemption ticket from hell for you and me. That is why the risen Jesus on the mountain in Galilee that day said to his church, please go out. I order you, I command you, go out and make of all people disciples of me and of mine. That was love at its best for the reason that, again, it was love in its finest hour because he alone has happiness beyond the grave, that which you and I want to give. No one else has it. He alone died on the cross. And on this silver anniversary, when you and I can rededicate ourselves this day to obedience to that command, we are to go out and to make of all men disciples of him, of his, because he alone has life beyond the grave and happiness to give then we ought to determine this day to say, if it's God's will that we're going on, starting the next 25 years, we want to go on with this purpose. It is still the purpose of making of all nations disciples of His. You know, there's a tremendous frustration going on in the Christian church today. We have ministers who are cracking up under the load. We have pastors who are quitting the ministry. We have pastors who are under psychiatric care. And you say, what's wrong? I'll tell you what's wrong. Some of our men are standing in the pulpit and they're saying, for God's sake, what should I preach today? The church is saying, what are you to preach? The church is being told that preaching is foolishness. Men who have preached Jesus Christ are being told, that's not the message of the hour. We are to involve ourselves in the things of this life. And because men who have been preaching Jesus Christ are being told 
You can't preach that anymore. That isn't the message of the hour. Men are saying, I don't know what to preach. I'm out. You asked me this morning, and may I tell you, my commander-in-chief, Jesus Christ, said on the mountain in Galilee, you go and you make of all nations disciples of me and of mine. And as far as I am concerned and so long as I have breath, that's going to be the message as long as by the grace of God I stand in this pulpit. Jesus Christ and him crucified. In how many pulpits today do you think you're having discussed the Pueblo ship incident? What ought we to do with our boat that has been taken by the Northern Koreans? Oh, we are told this is a thing we ought to talk about. All right, if we are to talk about the Pueblo incident, it's rather strange. What should you say about it today? What should I say? I heard Nixon on the radio. He doesn't know what to do. Eisenhower doesn't know the answer. President Johnson doesn't know the answer. And pray tell in my humility, neither do you. I don't even got my ideas, but I don't know. My president that I admire doesn't know either. What is the will of God in the Pueblo incident? You see what's happening in the church. We want the byproducts of Christ, but we don't want him. We don't want Christ. And yet go back into the church history. Every decent byproduct that you and I have in the world, the status of womanhood, the fact that you women are recognized as human beings, the status of children, education, democracy, mercy, mercy of one man to every last one of them without exception came because those men up at that mountaintop heard Jesus say, you go out and make all nations disciples of mine. When you change men, you change conditions. And we're not going to change the question of race prejudice or again of rentals or this of freedom marches or any other thing until Jesus Christ comes into men's hearts and men are changed. Then when you and I learn to love, We've learned to see one another as creatures who have been died for. Then this world and this country that you and I love is going to be better. That's the message. Let's not equivocate. Jesus, the commander-in-chief, he said to his church, you go and you make of all people disciples of mine. That to me, that's my orders. I don't know any other message. They say people won't come to church, but you have come to church. They say people won't listen, but thank God they listen. That's what people want. This is our silver anniversary. We say, what does the Lord of the church say to us today? He says this. He says, will you go, please, I order you to go out and make of all nations followers, disciples of me and of mine. You and I may say, well, that's the height of pride and of arrogance. If I ever heard it, the pride of vanity, he must suffer hallucinations of grandeur. Then when you and I look again, we say, oh, no, it's the height of love. He alone, he alone has happiness beyond the grave. That's what we want to give. No one else has it. Is that true? The word of God says Christ and he alone, no one else. He has opened up heaven and the eternal mansions for us. 
You and I of ourselves could never have opened heaven for ourselves. How could we when we aren't even qualified? Not one piece of good work to offer God in exchange. You and I, if we are going to bear the punishment of our sin, never will be released. How can you and I open up heaven and the eternal mansions? But he could, and he, because he died for you and me, and because he arose from the dead, assuring that he had won the great victory, he was given by his heavenly Father enough 100% goodnesses and righteousnesses and merits for the entire human race. And he alone, therefore, when we come to repentance and faith in him, he alone has a ticket to heaven for every man, woman, and child born of woman. All that he asks is that we stand before him and admit that we are not qualified, that we're sinners. Admit our sorrow for sin, that we're going to turn away from it. Admit that we are lost and damned without him and then put our faith, that means just trust us, hold on to him. To reach out and say, Lord Jesus, I trust you, I hold on to you as my Lord and Savior. I believe that you are the one who has opened up heaven and I shall die with my faith and confidence in you. That's all he asks. There isn't anybody within the sound of my voice who can't do that. When you and I know therefore that he alone, he alone has this happiness beyond the grave to give, then oh how we ought to rededicate ourselves this day to obedience to the great command that he gave, the height of love. Will you go out, he says, and will you make of all people, will you make the disciples of me and of mine? And if today we rededicate ourselves to that purpose and to that one alone, then if there's been any good accomplished in the last 25 years, we give all glory to him, the Lord of the church, all praise to him. Uh, you know, this is an intangible thing. This isn't a gimmick where you send in some soap wrappers and you get a prize. And you may say, is the mail real heavy? No, you don't go out and get a lot of mail, but thank God the mail that comes. Oh, how sometimes it brightens the day. I think as many times as I stand here where the Word of God is going into a single room, a sick room, out at Marion Correctional, you're home alone. And oh, how many hearts have been comforted? How many have found joy? How many have found peace? How many with a guilty conscience have heard coming into their room when they were discarding of life that Jesus graciously forgives sins, that no sin is so great but that he can forgive? And that he also says, and I forget it. I remember your sins no more. I wiped them. I blot them out of my mind. And then he says, now, son or daughter, why don't you start forgiving yourself? Why don't you forgive yourself when I've forgiven you? And you can stand up and how many again have found peace and quietness and hope and surrender in Jesus Christ? Who knows? The Lord of the church did say this, that his word would not return void, but it would accomplish everything for which it was intended. And he also said, it's like casting bread on the waters. Who knows what happens to bread when you put it on the waters? But thank God it accomplishes its purpose, doesn't it? Who can gauge, again, the hearts that have been warmed and comforted by the Word of God from this pulpit? God alone knows, and it shall be written in eternity. Today, we are thankful, as you heard previously over at the lectern, how did it all begin? Well, Raymond Roker was mentioned, and I surely want to mention him, too. You see, back in 43, money was a pretty scarce article. We were all ready to go on the air, and the thing is all we needed was some money, and 
One day, Raymond Roker, so many of you called him Dutch, I always called him Raymond. He was my kind of a guy, he was a baker, drove to my back door one day in his work clothes and rang the doorbell and all he looked said, Reverend, do you want to go on the air? And I said, yes, Raymond, I'd like to see us go on the air to see what would happen. He said, here's $500 and gave it to me in cash, walked away. You may wonder, well, why would uh, Raymond Roker want to give $500 of hard-earned money for a radio broadcast? Well, I'd like to take you behind the scenes, I think I can tell you this morning. You see, God prepares individuals for some things in the church. Why was he so concerned about all people becoming followers of Jesus? Why was he so concerned that this was an evidence of love, that only Christ has happiness beyond the grave to give? I'll tell you. You see, Raymond and Mrs. Roker had an older daughter. Her name was Marianne. She was a cute little tyke. She was in my first confirmation class when I came to Emmanuel. She was confirmed in my first class. And one day, Marianne stayed home from school. Her nose started to swell up a bit. And I recall going out to see her. She was just 14. And I know in her little girlish way, she was a little embarrassed and she held her hand and she rather laughed because the nose was swollen. We didn't think too much of it. She was given medical care, but it became very grave and we called a specialist from Columbus and septicemia was there and the eyesight was going and it was going to the brain. We moved Marianne to the hospital. And I shall never forget as long as I live. There was a vigil kept through the night. There was one time that one night when life was just hanging by a thread when Raymond and I were in the room alone. I don't suppose the family knows this. And I prayed softly, just the two of us and Marianne just breathing, and that was all. Then from Raymond Roker, there came a prayer. He closed his eyes, and I felt like I was on holy ground, and this is what he whispered that morning. I heard him say, Lord, you take her if you want her. It's all right. You can have her. We love her. But if you want her, it's all right. And God took her. And it was all right with him. It was just all right. You know, he had a beautiful voice, Raymond Roker. He sang in the choir, and after this death, he said to me one day, he says, you know, Reverend, he said, if I can take that, if the Lord could take my daughter that I love so dearly, he says, I guess I can stand anything as a Christian, can't I? And I said, you really can, Raymond. Stayed out of the choir for a while, but he came back in. It was always a song he loved to sing in the choir. It was Sanctus, Sanctus. Sanctus, Sanctus, or Holy, 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 Lord God of Sabbath. Heaven and earth are full of thy glory. Hosanna in the highest. And he sang it again. Gave praise to his Christ. You see, that was the background. See, he had a daughter in heaven. And he saw heaven through a tear. And it's never so beautiful, is it?
but when you see it through a tear, that was the guy, that was Raymond Roker that gave the 500. That's how we got started, because he loved. And then early one Sunday morning, his wife, Billy, called me and she said, Oh, come, I think Raymond's dead. And I went out to the Roker home. He had gone to bed on Saturday night, weary, tired, and he didn't wake up. He died in his sleep. Just as the Lord, his Christ that he loved, was saying, Raymond, you're weary. Time to go home. Time to go see Marianne. That's the way we got started. You see, he loved his Lord. And that's why we've been on the air to try to reach out with the good news beyond the confines of this church that others could become followers of Jesus. Because, you see, he alone has made the happiness beyond the grave worthwhile. He alone has it. And so today we, we still sing to our Christ, the Commander-in-Chief, our Sanctus, Holy, 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 Lord God of Sabbath. Amen. The peace of God which passeth all human understanding, keep and unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus until life everlasting. Amen.